Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Joining us now, the twin sister docs, Dr. Elena McDonald, Dr. Delana Wardlaw. They are board certified physicians and they are twins. Doctors, good morning. Good morning, Solomon. How are you? I'm recovering. You know what we I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm recovering. All of us except Fahim. He he's happy, but but the rest of us, the rest of us, real Philadelphians, those of us born and raised and, and bleed Eagle Green, we we are recovering. And so, um, do y'all have any suggestions for me? I mean medically, you know, to help me get through this. Medically, Solomon, you just have to relax. You know, being a Philadelphia fan, this is what we go through, Solomon. So prepare yourself, <laughs> prepare yourself, prepare yourself. But just try not to get too stressed about it, Solomon. We know that you can't let yourself get too stressed because we have to live to see another day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But we're going to let him have that for now. We're going to let him have his happiness and, and all of that because we appreciate him and, and, and the rest of these guys uh, who are out here talking about they Dallas fans. And, and, and we're going to worry about our health. So, so Dr. Wola, I got to ask you about this. A new survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation found that 60% of black patients reported changing the way they dress and mentally bracing themselves for potential mistreatment when they visit the doctor. We've heard this before, but is is it changing? And if so, how? So, Colin, this is, this is the unfortunate truth, the unfortunate ugly truth, that people really, um, don't, many people don't feel comfortable when they're going to the doctor's office. And um, this is a situation that has been going on for many years, but now um, a t- more attention has been brought to it. And so we have to make sure that for us as a, and, and the medical system, those in the healthcare system, we have to make sure that this changes. We have to make sure that um, physicians are culturally competent no matter what area um, that they practice. And you have to be air, you have to be aware of the challenges that your community faces. You have to be aware of the culture. Um, uh, um, cultural experiences that people, um, experience. Um, you have to know how that impacts their health care. And so you have to be prepared to listen to them. You have to be prepared to answer their questions. You have to give them a chance to be heard and not dismiss them, Solomon. So this is, this is, this is huge. Um, this is something that definitely has to be addressed. And patients, um, really, this is why Dr. McDonald and I try to do what we do, make sure patients have information that they can advocate for themselves, make sure that they are being heard, making sure that they have questions that they can ask so they can be active in their health care and, and not have those feelings of of dismissive, of being dismissed and making sure that you have your answers questions, your, your questions answered before you leave the exam room. Um, but we have to do something uh, on our side in the establishment column to make sure that anybody who enters the health care uh, profession, they are trained about uh, cultural competency, cultural sensitivity with any culture that you come into contact with so that you are sensitive and making sure that you are professional enough to make sure that you are um, listening to patients' concerns and, and go from their problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we'll continue to, you know, just expect better. And I think that's what we have to do. I think we have to expect better. You know, and and demand better. I really do. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's and that's that's what we deserve. Absolutely. That's what we deserve. We're not asking for anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. We're asking for what we deserve. That's right. That's right. So, Doctor McDonald, doctors beginning to report seeing what they think is a new syndrome in babies 
who are exposed to fentanyl while in the womb. What are the symptoms and, and what can be done about it? Yeah, so basically this is a, this is a, this, uh, a group of babies, they started to notice some similar symptoms. Um, and this is out in, um, in Wilmington, Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a physician started to notice that um, there were babies that were coming in whose mothers who were on drugs including fentanyl, but multiple drugs. Uh, but fentanyl is the one that, that, that has been listed um, in that group. And the children were having specific features that mm-hmm. they started to notice, whether or not their nose was a certain way, their jaw, you know, facial features, um, their jaw was undersized, the way their feet were turned um, unusually. And they also had, the, the boys had some genital irregularities, some issues with feeding, um, some, some of their thumbs weren't formed. So what this doctor started to notice was that she had seen a couple of these other babies and she started to make the connection that these mothers had given a history um, that they had been using multiple drugs. Um, So the question came up is, are we seeing a syndrome-like effect? And a syndrome is a combination of of, uh, findings Mm -hmm. that you find in a person that can be directed, that can be led back to one or multiple sources. Mm. The question now is, are we seeing physical side effects in babies? And um, if their mother have used multiple drugs, including fentanyl, during their pregnancy. And again, this is a small number of babies that they have recognized it. But as we always say in, in medicine and science, when you start to notice something, you have to do more research mm-hmm. to, to gather more data to see if we truly are seeing uh, a syndrome-like effect from fentanyl use. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for, we're going to be looking for more data. We're going to be doing more research. But mm-hmm. this is how we picked up, you know, there, there, there's a big syndrome called fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. You know, decades ago, you know, uh, physicians started to notice these physical findings, not only physical findings, also developmental findings and, you know, uh, uh, cognitive developmental findings in these children. Yeah. So we have, we have a, a syndrome called fetal alcohol syndrome. So this is how we start to pick things up. When people are, are paying attention to enough to say, wait a minute, are we seeing the pattern? Let's investigate it more to gather more data. So the, 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 as we say, the verdict is still out, but the question is being asked. We need more information. But as always, drugs have a negative impact, mm-hmm. not only on you, but on your children. Mm-hmm. So please, as we say, this, this, this is a public service announcement. Do not use drugs. There you go. So, Dr. Warlaw, um, COVID-19 hospitalizations have been on the rise in the U.S. for the past month while a new coronavirus variant spreads. What is the variant and what do we know about it? So the variant problem is, is, is a cousin to, um, to, to Omicron. It's still in the Omicron family. And we do know that uh, it's, it's, not the, it's, it's not a dominant variant in the, in the, um, in the country. So most people who have this this um, COVID do not have this variant, but we've seen a number of increased cases in the United States of COVID. And that's not because of this new variant, that's because we're in respiratory suits. So we expect to see an increased number of um, not only COVID, but uh, flu and also RSV. And we do know that's because, you know, there are more guidelines around this time, you know, we're, we're driven inside, so we're in social portals. Um, and so, and that on top of this being respiratory season. So that is what's really driving the numbers, Salma. But about this variant, it has not um, been shown to be uh, more deadly or uh, more concerning or to have shown a difference in symptoms, you know, the typical um, COVID symptoms. Um, it hasn't changed that, you know, the, 
the um, the cough, the headaches, the fevers, the body aches, the loss of taste and smell. So those things have not changed at all. And the other important thing about this problem is that um, it's the most latest vaccine is still protective against it. Um, so it is, and we, we watch it in various. And again, that's why there is a new COVID vaccine that comes out every so often because of these variants. But this variant um, has not um, driven the number of cases. It's because of the respiratory season that we are in. But we're watching it, and we'll see if it um, becomes a dominant strain. We have many variants that, that come to, um, that develop solemnly, but we don't hear about them because they, they are not significant enough. Okay. This one is a variant of, this one is a variant of interest. Mm-hmm. We'll look to see if it becomes a variant of concern. Okay. Got it. So, uh, Dr. McDonald, the EPA recently announced that it plans to require the removal of all lead pipes from the country's water systems. What's this going to mean for children's health? So, as we all know, lead, <clears throat> lead exposure toxicity has been well documented in children. We know that uh, uh, elevated lead can, even small amounts of elevated lead can lead to uh, developmental uh, uh, disorders. Uh, It it can lead to problems with, uh, specifically with learning, um, uh, concentration, and significantly high levels uh, can lead to seizures, you know, can lead to to death. So we know the impact of elevated lead levels. Mm -hmm. As a result of the Flint, Michigan, issue where a couple years ago they changed their water source, didn't, didn't properly test it. Hundreds of thousands of, of, of people, including children, were exposed to lead, to, mm-hmm. to elevated lead levels. As a result of that, I think there was an extra push because there's always been a concern about lead pipes, mm-hmm. lead pipes being a source for elevated lead. Yeah. So a child comes in my, in my office, they're tested for lead at 12 months to 24 months because that's the time we're putting lots of things in their, in their, in their mouth. But also, when, if a lead level comes up, elevated, there is a program in Philadelphia where they can come out to the home and evaluate to try to figure out what the source is. Mm-hmm. So we do know that lead pipe is a well-known, is a well-known uh, uh, source of elevated lead levels. Yeah. So this mandate saying that counties are required to remove all lead pipes is very significant, mm-hmm. Solomon, because, it, you know, it's, it's a public health issue. So if you can remove, if you can require counties to remove one of the main sources, then that, that, that is huge. One of the big things is is that they're not necessarily required to go into homes and, and, and remove it, uh, which can be costly, right? Yeah. So there you have access issues again. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily required to go into homes to remove it. However, there is funding. There is funding out there from the government. And from what I've read, there's at least $15 billion out there mm-hmm. where, you know, there's funding to have, uh, you know, um, these programs, these, 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 these county, um, the, the, the counties that are they're required to remove the lead. They can request this funding to go in if we need to remove pipes from the, from the home. So this is huge, Solomon. We know the impact of lead. We know one of the main sources. We need to remove it to protect our children. All right. All right. So, Dr. Warlaw, where can people find the two of you? You can reach us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, X, Threads, at Twin Sister Box. You can also reach us on our website at thetwinsisterbox.com. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us this morning on WURD. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 